welcome all of you once again this morning, Friendship Sunday. And what that means is we invite our friends and family members. We have a beautiful barbecue grid ready at the end of the service so we can connect. But what I'm going to be doing today is I want to share with you my personal testimony. And uh, sometimes I get a little apprehensive when I do that because many times when someone shares a testimony, if we're not careful, we can take certain things upon ourselves as we share the word and share the testimony. And uh, it, 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 sometimes the, the light shines in a different way and I, I, I always want to make sure that everything I say brings glory to God and I don't want in any way to be seen in a certain uh, way at all. I want God to be seen. This is all for Him. He has done everything. He is the one to be exalted. He is the one to be praised. In the book of Revelation chapter 12, the 11th verse, the Bible tells us, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Anybody who has experienced God, anybody who's truly born again, who truly has a relationship with God has a testimony. It's impossible not to have a testimony if you've experienced salvation. I ask people, How's your, give me your testimony. How did you become a Christian? And they'll tell me, well, I, I don't really have, I mean, I've always been a Christian. And right then, I know that they don't have a true experience with God. Why? Because we're not born Christians. You must become one. You're not a Christian because my mother and father went to church. You're not a believer in God because you were raised in the church. You can be raised in the church. You can be in church for 50 years and still not know God. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, by their story. By their experience, in other words. So, so something happened to these disciples. Something took place in their lives that transformed them. Notice by the blood of the Lamb, so through Christ, what he did on the cross, and by the word of their testimony, their story. Let me tell you something, my friends. Life is a story. Life is a story, and how you Live in what you do reflects that story. So if life is a story, tell it well. Tell it well. Let me ask you, how will you be remembered? What is your story? That's why we hear the theme. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day. What is your story? Do you have a testimony? Do you know that your testimony is the greatest sermon that you have? Your testimony is the greatest sermon because it's personal. It's something you've experienced. 
Your greatest sermon is what Jesus has done in your life. Nobody can take that away from you. Do you have a story? Do you have a sermon? Do you have a sermon? Do you have a story in what Jesus has done in your life? That's what I'm here to tell you today, my story. The greatest sermon I have is not what I preach Sunday after Sunday. It might be a good sermon, if that, but my greatest sermon is my life. And if Jesus has touched my life, then there's a change. Something has happened to me. It began in 1976. 1976. I didn't realize it, but that was the beginning of something very powerful in my life, and I had no idea what was going to happen to me. I wasn't raised in the church. I knew nothing about God. Nothing at all. Never went to Sunday school. In fact, I used to make fun of people that went to church. Had no regard for the things of God whatsoever. In 1976, in my high school, Malcolm Campbell High School, every year they would have a talent show. And I was asked by the producers of this talent show that if, if I would lead it or host it, they would call it the Master of Ceremonies. And so they asked me, Dina, would you like to be the master of ceremonies in our talent show? The talent show was part of the graduation services. It was a, a tradition at our school, and it was a highlight. It was the highlight of the year, this talent show. And I was a little bit nervous, you know, because I knew how much, you know, th this meant to the school. And, you know, it wasn't easy to do that. I've never done anything like that before. And so they asked me, and I decided to do it. And the producer said to me, look, just prepare for 15 minutes of improv in case something goes wrong. And inevitably, you know, in each production, live, especially live, things go wrong. We were all a bunch of amateurs, and, you know, everybody doing this, was a, they never had experience in it. And so, and so inevitably, when the, the, the show began, we discovered that the first act, something went wrong, and I had to go out and improvise, and it just, it just started. And my 15 minutes of improv already was taking place the first two acts, because something went wrong the first two acts, and I had to go and improvise. That's what improv improvisation means and then I discovered oh my goodness then the fourth act something went wrong then the fifth act everything seemed to go wrong that day never happened before in the history where so many things went wrong on stage and all I had was 15 minutes of improv prepared what am I supposed to do so they shoved me back on stage Dina do say something do something something but I already finished what am I supposed to say I didn't know what to do didn't know what to say so I got up there with nothing and I began to just do something I don't know, do some act some, some drama I did I don't know I started to say a few jokes and and I'm not really a comedian you know but people started to love it there were people were laughing people were enthralled and I ended up on stage for about 40 minutes that's how terrible things went and of course nobody arranged it it just happened that way and uh I seemed to I was on stage more than the acts were and it looked like it seemed like this is going to be a failure, but it was, people really liked it. So much so that at the end of the performance, my vice principal, Mr. Ray, said to me, he says, Dino, could never believe this, but he said to me, Dino, I don't know what you're going to do in your life. I wasn't very good in school. In fact, I was horrible. I wasn't a very good student. I didn't care for school. 
And that's why he said, I don't know what you're going to do in your life, because he knew me. He says, but if nothing works out, I recommend very highly you go to Hollywood. That's what he told me. Well, I was 16 at the time. By the time I turned 18, uh, I was just not happy. I didn't know what to do. I said I had no education. I didn't, I mean, I had high school, but I didn't care for college or CGEP. I didn't go. I went one semester and I left. I just was not that kind of person. I didn't go through that educational system. And I was basically, I didn't know what to do in my life. I was searching for something. I didn't know what I was searching for, but I was very empty inside. And I didn't find what I was looking for through sports or through any other activity. And I remembered the words of Mr. Ray when he said to me, Dino, I don't know what you're going to do, but, but if you don't find anything, I recommend you go to Hollywood. And I decided to do that. I was 18, the month of May, 1978, um, and then to 79, I decided to leave Montreal, where I'm from. I had no money. I just had maybe $100, if that, in my pocket. And I left to go to Hollywood, an 18-year-old kid with no experience, no job, no place to live. I just, on a whim, that's the kind of person I was, on a whim and just go to Hollywood and become a movie star. No money, no green card, no connections, nobody to go to, nothing. Just took a plane and off I went to Hollywood because I'm going to be a movie star because Mr. Ray told me that if you don't find anything, go to Hollywood. And I took that as I'm going to make it in Hollywood. How ridiculous is that? How naive and how green and how desperate. I think about it today, I can't believe, my mother, I can't believe I actually left to go to Los Angeles, California with nobody, connected with, with no money hardly. It's just inconceivable, but there I was. For the first six months, I went through culture shock. Now, I'm from Montreal, it was a fast-paced city, I worked downtown, but nothing like Hollywood, nothing like Los Angeles. For six months, I could not believe I was actually living there. And I didn't really know what to do. I didn't know who to speak to. I didn't know who to go to. Who's going to listen to me? Where am I supposed to? Who am I supposed to speak to? I want to be this movie star. Who's going to talk to me? I had nobody. Nothing. And I went through culture shock. I couldn't believe how fast-paced this city was. And I found this little apartment this rundown place in the boarding house on 414 South Serrano and there I was living in this small little apartment if you will in this boarding house I was paying $70 a month $70 a month to live in this little shack a room I would say from the platform to the wall and maybe to the drums and that's, that's basically my room $70 a month I didn't know what to do. Started getting a little depressed. Didn't know who to speak to. I walked down the streets and tried to f- see if there's any place I can t- any, a place I can go where I can talk to somebody. Maybe I can go to some kind of producer and talk with him. I didn't know how to deal with this. I didn't know who to speak to. 
It was during that time that I got my first break. I didn't realize it was a break, but it was my first break. Because in 1978, a very popular movie came out called Saturday Night Fever. Now, does anybody ever remember? This is, you got to be pretty old like me to remember. You remember Saturday Night Fever with John Travolta? You want, now that was, you remember John Travolta? He was like the guy in Hollywood. And there was a change and a transformation in Hollywood at that time where the blonde hair, blue-eyed surfer mindset was taken out and now the Italian Mediterranean uh, look became popular in Hollywood. John Travolta's Italian and that look, that disco kind of black hair, blue eye kind of look became very popular in Hollywood. And I didn't realize it, but that was my first break. And uh, I was told by certain people, Dina, you got to get yourself an agent if you're going to go anywhere in Hollywood. I was learning these things the hard way. And so I applied. I found out where these agents are. And I was told I have to get some pictures. I didn't even know that. I got some pictures made out of myself. And I send it to these agents. And one guy said, hey, you know, he called me. Back then, there was no cell phones. There was no, you know, you just called me. There was no t computers. Called me, made an appointment with me, and he said, you know what? The look that you have is what's in right now in Hollywood. I said, what? And he decided to take me on, this agent. I had no experience. I never did a movie. I had no theater, nothing. He just took me on just by how I looked. The fact that I... You know, I'm Greek and I look Mediterranean and that was very popular during that time. And so he took me on, he took a chance and he took me on. But nothing seemed to be happening at that time, even though he took me on, I was excited, but no opportunities came and I decided to take things, you know, uh, I started to learn some things. I discovered where some of these studios were, where Paramount Studios were, where Columbia Pictures was, where NBC Studios, Burbank Studios. I learned where all these places were. And so what I did is I took the pictures that were made of myself. I mean, I had over a thousand pictures, my, what they call a Z card. A Z card is just a picture of who you are and what, you know, different poses. And I took these Z cards and I went to these studios. I snuck into the studios and I walked into these places. And when I would see producer, I would shove it underneath the door. Can you imagine that? And the reason why I got this idea is I went one day to Paramount Studios and I would notice that people would just walk in the gate, say hello to the guy and they would walk in. I said, I figured I can do that too. So I took a picture underneath my arm, and, and I had a jacket, and I just walked in, I said, hello, and the guy let me in. I said, what? And so I took a whole bunch of pictures the next day, and I began to shove them. I remember I was going, walking on the old, remember the show Bonanza? Some of you old timers understand. Bonanza was, I, I was on the stage of Bonanza, I couldn't believe it. You know, I was in Paramount Studio. Star Trek II was being filmed at the time. I was on the set, and I just snuck in the studio. And I did this to Columbia, I did this in all these places, never got caught. Can't, for the life of me, I can't believe how that happened, but it, it's exactly what happened. But no calls. And I said, I got, I, got, I, got, I got to pursue this even harder. I mean, I didn't come here for nothing. And I just, I bought this, this old manuscript to the stars. And I figured, you know, maybe if I talk to somebody 
who's part of my background. Maybe, maybe he'll give me a break. Maybe if I can talk to a Greek actor. If I can find a Greek actor, maybe he'll listen to me. You understand that. Aphrodite, you know, Greeks, how they are. They'll stab you in the back when you're not around, but face to face, they'll do a lot of nice things. So I figured, so who's popular in the 70s that, you know, I said, ah, now some of you are going to remember this. Telly Savalas Kojak, he, he's going to help me. Now some of you young people don't know what I'm talking about, but some of us old timers know who Telly Savalas is. You know Telly Savalas, he was really big in Hollywood. Well, he's Greek. And so I figured maybe he'll listen to me. Look at how desperate I was. I mean, am I, have I lost my mind? And so I found out where he lived. He lived at 4848 Saint Adele Court in Woodland Hills. I memorized that, believe me. So the problem is I didn't have a car. So how am I going to get to his house? He doesn't know me, but you see, I, I'm, I'm a desperate young man. I've, I've, I mean, I've, maybe I've lost my mind. I left Montreal. I'm, I'm not going to stop now. I might as well continue in my desperation, right? But I didn't realize it that this desperation, this passion was only something, it was really something that was deep within me that I was, I was looking for something. I was searching for something. I didn't know what it was. And I thought maybe if I can become famous or popular, maybe that's what's going to meet my need. Maybe that's what's going to make me happy. I didn't realize it. How many people today think if they can become famous or if they can make more money, they can be happy? Same thing, but for me it was fame. Maybe if I can become famous, I can find fulfillment in my life. And so I found out where Telly Savalas lived. Oh, goodness, look at that picture. Yeah, that was one, that's part of my Z card. It was one of them. Anyway, uh, it took me three hours to get to his house by bus and no car. And by that time, it was late. It was about 11 o'clock at night. I didn't realize how far it would take. I didn't know. I didn't, you know, everything was an experience for me. And so I got there, and my plan was just to introduce myself. Great plan. Just, for example, I would knock on the door, and maybe somebody would come out, and I would say, Hi. Here's my plan. This is it. My name is Dino Andriatis. Can I please speak to Telly Savalas? In other words, hey, I'm Greek, so maybe he knows me. And I did, that, that, that was it. That was my game plan. And so this man answers the door, getting ready. Hello, my name is Dino Andriatis, and I like this. He looked at me. This man began to chuckle a little bit. He says, I'm sorry, young man, but Telly Savalas moved out of here 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, sad, yeah, you'd think, but when I got home about three, late, I, I was in the morning, very late in the morning, I got home. It was the first time I can remember actually crying out. I, I didn't believe in God or didn't, no God, I, maybe I believed in some God, I just didn't have any relationship, but that's the first time I remember I actually started crying out, and this becomes very significant I started crying out to God, wherever, whoever God, just God, Lord, if you're there, help me the first, I was so depressed and discouraged, you know how much energy it took 
for me to go all the way to speak to Telly Savalas and be rejected like that? How much energy it takes to sneak into these studios? and Like, friends, I was just a kid. I'm 18, 19, I just turned 19 now. I'm 19 years old. I know nobody, have no connections. Now this, this agent that hired me, he wasn't doing much for me. So even though I got an agent, nothing was happening. So I said, I'm gonna, I can't just sit around here. I got a phone call from NBC Studios. Just from the picture, I, I, went, I snuck in, I got this interview. They called me up and they sent me a messenger, a messenger from the studio to memorize Harvey Corman's part. Anybody remember who Harvey Corman is? You remember, you, you and I have a, some understanding here. You remember, Harvey Corman was, you know, he's on the Carol Burnett show. Remember the Carol Burnett? I know you young folk no, have no idea what I'm talking about, but these were the main shows back in my day. Tim, you remember Carol, but you got to remember the Carol Burnett show. Well, Harvey Corman, so they sent me a, a messenger to memorize Harvey Corman's part, and there I was, I had to memorize it, and I had an, I had an appointment at NBC Studios to see how I would act. And what they would do, it would be called cold acting, or a cold script. And what that was, is that you would just now be introduced to a fellow actor, and you would have to act in front of that person, with that person, and the producers would watch you and see how you connect. Okay, so there I am, big camera, slapped, a huge camera, and there I am, I, I got into, I, I couldn't believe I'm in NBC Studios, I'm just this kid from Montreal, I'm actually in NBC, being interviewed for a major part in a new television series called Sign On, Sign Off. I'm really going quickly with the details because my time is limited, so I couldn't believe it, I was in shock that I'm actually having my first major interview. And I froze. I literally, I, the awesomeness for me of that moment was overbearing and I couldn't speak. Now, if some of you might think that's a real, you know, couldn't speak, that's pretty, I couldn't speak. And he just, <laughs> you know, he said, what, what can't you speak? What's the matter with you? I said, I'm sorry. I just, I couldn't. And I was so embarrassed. I was so ashamed. I just ran out of that place. And I got, eventually come back home. And I cried out again to this unknown God that I was crying out to. Every painful experience I had at this point in my life, I'd go to my small little room and I'd be crying out to God to help me. And I didn't know who this God was. This is very important because the Bible says, call upon me with all of your heart. Search for me with all of your heart and you will find me. And I didn't realize I was doing what Jeremiah said and I had no idea what I was doing. And so things continued. I, you know, I was getting all these opportunities. I couldn't believe it, but nothing really materializing. All these, I had actors that I met, I'm passing a lot of time here, they couldn't believe all these opportunities I was getting. An unknown like me. You have to understand. You know, you have to be known to, to some degree to get certain roles. And these were major roles. And I, of course, it was the look. I understand that. But there were still many people that were, had a Mediterranean look that were getting opportunities. And so I was just overwhelmed with all this. And something one day turned around completely for me. I was coming back from an interview. I had no car. I took the bus. And I'm waiting at the bus stop to go home. And here's where the pendulum begins to shift. And so I'm waiting for, for the bus, and 
uh, I get on the bus, but before I get on the bus, there's a man that comes up to me. He looks at me and he gives me what I thought was a piece of paper. I don't know. I know it now as a track, obviously. I thought it was just a piece of paper. And it said on this piece of paper, Dear friend, you know, Jesus loves you, dear friend. Did you know that Jesus Christ is coming again? Are you ready? Jesus Christ is coming. Jesus Christ is coming again. I have a hard time to understand the fact that he came the first time, let alone come again. But something inside of me, nobody taught me this or showed me, something inside of me started to stir. Yeah, okay. Jesus loves me. Okay, does that... And he's coming again, all right? But somehow I, I believed it. I didn't understand it, but I made, something was making sense to me, and I didn't understand. I knew nothing of the Bible, knew nothing of his coming again, knew nothing. I had zero understanding of these things. Zero. So I went on the bus, and David, his name is David. He comes on the bus with me, and it's packed with me. You don't go on a bus in Los Angeles empty. No such thing. doesn't exist. Always myriads of people on the bus that's that's significant and I'll tell you why so so it's time for me to get off the bus and so whenever you get off there's always lots of people that get off with you so I get off the bus to get because my stop I get up nobody gets off nobody except one person guess who David <gasps> what so hi so we connected again and he starts talking to me and he's explaining to me about the gospel a little bit here and there and uh, talked with me and he wanted to know if I want to receive Christ and I didn't fully understand what that meant he explained to me but then I knew that if I was going to serve Jesus now this is, what, this is very important even back then in the infancy of my understanding about God I knew that if I'm going to serve Jesus I've got to give him all and I wasn't willing to do that. Do you know that battle is what persists today in most believers? I knew that if I'm going to follow Christ, I've got to deny myself and give him everything. Back then, how many people are in the church serving God for years, but are not willing to deny themselves and sacrifice and give up certain things. They keep holding on to certain things. Hey, I knew it. If I'm going to serve Jesus, I, I, I can't. So I said, no. You want to come over, have a cup of coffee? No. But he gave me a Bible that he had, a New Testament. And I kept it. Went back home. That was my first kind of encounter. My first experience with the gospel. Went back home and phone calls continued I got so many opportunities I couldn't believe the things that were taking place and it's almost as if I was being distracted from from understanding the word of God being distracted from surrendering my life I kept getting this carrot in my face so to speak I kept getting all these interviews until one day something happened to me so here's now going to be the second experience I got all these different experiences that led me to a certain place. And so here is possibly the greatest experience, certainly up to that point. 
I was coming home and I, I was in my room. It was about 11 o'clock or so, so it was time for bed. And brethren, I don't know whether, the, I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure whether this was a dream or a vision. Sometimes they're very hard to discern. I do believe, however, it was a vision. And I'm going to tell you what happened. And so I was about to go to sleep and I just saw like, like just something just opened up to me. And I saw in the vision, uh, it was very cloudy outside. And I saw lots of people to my right and to my left, people in front of me. And I, I don't know where I was at. It, you know, I didn't understand that. But I know now it was some form of crusade, an open you know, ground. It was a, 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 a gospel meeting, a tent meeting, if you will, outside. And all of a sudden, as, as I'm just looking at these people it was cloudy a lot of clouds I remember the clouds that's significant all of a sudden I heard this big bang like a bang and, and, and a trumpet kind of sound but it wasn't clear to me what exactly it was but it was very loud but it didn't it didn't cause my ears to you know when you hear ambulance your ears get a little pierced didn't have that kind of piercing to it but it was incredibly loud I instinctively looked up and I saw this figure of someone descending with a long white robe but I couldn't see the face because all that I saw was a light permeating from the face no facial just light and I turned to my right and I saw these people rising up I turned to my left and I saw people rising up but they had no body they had no flesh there was no flesh just spirit and then I looked at myself and I didn't see any flesh all I, and I began to rise. And I met, which I know is Jesus, in the air and I woke up from this. I said, what? What? What just happened? Shortly after that I was picked up the Bible that David gave me and I was reading 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 just randomly just 4 verse 16 and following for the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so shall we ever be with him and I didn't know that was in the Bible <laughs> and I saw it and I said oh wait wait a minute I saw something here I, uh, I never went to church you see I, don't, I never heard a message on this that's important because it could have been in my sight could have been a dream or no this is something I saw that was in the Bible that I didn't know was in the Bible I said, wait a minute, God, what are, you, what are you trying to say to me? I got into contact with David and he explained to me what it was. But I still wasn't willing to surrender my life to God. More interviews. I wanted to be a famous actor. I wanted to, to, to make money. Be known. 
So forget this dream, this vision. Forget. Come on, you, you're in, you're, you came all the way here for a reason. One day I was waiting for a phone call from my agent because he got me connected with somebody. I was waiting by the phone. And uh, I was reading the Bible as I was waiting for this phone call. I was outside my porch and I kept reading and reading and reading. And one day I was in John 16. Just to remember that, I was in John 16. I was reading and the Lord spoke to me. Never, now when people say the Lord spoke to me, you know, that can be such a, you know, a nebulous thing. God is always speaking to people, but I wonder whether it's their imagination or whether it's God. What does it mean God is speaking to you? What does that mean? We use it so loosely today, you know. God's speaking to me. Oh, really? Well, how do you know that? That's another sermon, and we won't get into that right now. But I really didn't know God, but I know that he was speaking to me and I sensed the Lord saying to me the spirit go on the corner of Western and Wilshire and preach now wait a minute hold on hold on a second I know it's God because it's something that I would never do you know here's one rule of thumb sometimes you know it's God when it doesn't make sense <laughs> that's just one if it really makes sense it could be God but chances are it's not Go on the, this impulse, this, that's so strong inside of me, I couldn't even read. Western and Wilshire and preach. But Western and Wilshire. So then, I, then I looked, I said, okay, Lord, are you speaking to me? Well, what, do you, what is this? What is this, Western and Wilshire? And preach the gospel. Preach what, what, what you've been learning and seeing and experiencing. I wasn't totally committed yet, but Okay, this is, I, I didn't, but it was such a compulsion, I, I had to do it. And so I said, okay, Lord, you know, preach. What are people going to think of me? I, I make fun of people that preach on the streets. And now he's asking me to do the same. Isn't that interesting? How God turned things. So then I said, okay. I wasn't sure. So there I was on the corner of Western and Wilshire. And I'm starting to preach. I didn't know what to preach. I was in John 16, so I started, you know, quoting John and John 14 and some scriptures from there. And then I, I, I did John, you know, chapter 3, God loves the world. And I, I was like the worst sermon that anybody can possibly speak because I didn't know what I was saying. I was all over the place, stumbling words. and to, to me, it makes sense. People laughing at me, walking by, saying, you're an idiot. What are you doing here? Making fun of me, which made it even worse. Horrible. I said, I'm going to give up, Lord. I can't. This is, this is, this is, I, I, they're not listening. They're making fun of me. Don't stop. I sensed it. Continue to preach the way you are. <sighs> Finally, after 45 minutes of this ridicule and mockery, remember, listen, I'm, in, I'm on Western in Wilshire, uh, a major street in West Hollywood, just a few miles from Beverly Hills. Let me tell you something. There are a lot of people walking the streets, okay? You know how many people looked at me and laughed at me? But I kept going. And so, 
finally, this, this man comes up to me, and he looks at me, and there's tears streaming down his face. He says, excuse me, he calls me sir. He says, me, sir, can you tell me more about, about Jesus? I go, what? What? Somebody's listening to me? I didn't, he was hiding, but there was a building, so I was on the corner, right? Corner, and he was here behind the building, so to speak, and that he, he was hiding, just listening to me. I didn't know that. I said, of course, and I gave him the message, and he was so convicted, he fell on his knees, and he wept, and he repented of his sins, and he gave his life to Christ on the streets of Western in Wilshire. And that was my first convert, the first person that... that God used me to bring to him. And I shared this story to the church I pastored years ago. And the man, he, he ended up going to Hollywood and he ended up going to this place. And he took a picture of it. I, 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 I have it here. And I was right on this corner street here in West Hollywood. And that's where I preached. And Carlos, his name is, came from this area. And he bent his knees right here and gave his life to Christ. I can show you this if you want. It, it will be up here if you want to look at it later. And there I was. And um, he was so moved. I was moved at this point. I wasn't serving God, but not with, you know. It goes to show you that all of us can be like Peter when we denied Christ, but God still uses us because of his grace. And then I said to him something a little strange, it seemed, because I was reading the book of Acts a while ago. And I saw a scripture that says if you repent and believe and are baptized, baptism, baptism, Jesus said, go into all the world preaching, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I asked him, to, uh, Carlos, would you like to be baptized? Don't know why I asked him that. I, for goodness sakes, I, I didn't fully even grasp what salvation was, let alone, like it was just crazy what was happening. How God was using me, and I wasn't sure what was going on. I know it might sound strange to most of you, but I'm telling you the story as it is, okay? So he says, yes, I'd like to be, but I wasn't going to church. I had no church. Why would I, why would I say that? But I said it, because I read it in the Bible. And I believe everything in the Bible at this point. I still do, but I don't care. But, so he says, yes, but then I had a promise, of where am I going to baptize this boy? He's about my age. So I said, okay, I got it. I'm going to take him to my apartment and baptize him in my bathtub. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. I took him to my apartment, put the water on. I said, Carlos, I'm going to baptize you. And I baptized him in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like I read in Matthew 28. I didn't know... I didn't even know what a pastor was, let alone I'm doing this pastoral work. I had no idea what this was. He tells me, Dino, thank you. And I want to talk to more, and he says, Dino, this is a God sent. I said, what? He was going to Colombia the very next day. The very next day he was going to Colombia. And he's been praying. He told me this, that God would touch him, and look what happened. I had no idea. And I've been praying for Carlos since that day, even to this very day. And the Lord spoke to me about 10 years after that and told me that this man is called to the ministry. 
And I know that Carlos, I don't know, he doesn't know me now. I have not talked to him. I just know him as Carlos. I didn't take any information. But I know in the spirit that he's a minister of the gospel. And one day when I get to glory, I'm going to meet him. And that was my first encounter with bringing people to Christ and what God was calling me to do. I didn't understand what the call of God was, what salvation. I'm just learning these things. Nobody, I didn't have a pastor to talk to. I had no friends to talk to. David was around, but David, he, he lived very far away. So I couldn't really connect with him. And it was long distance, and we just couldn't connect that way. So I couldn't really talk to him that much. God was speaking to me. I still, I know this sounds so strange, but friends, we all do it in some way, don't we? I still wasn't willing to completely surrender. Sounds strange. God was trying to get my attention. How many times is God trying to get your attention over and over again through certain things but you don't listen you shrug it off I was coming home from another interview and I remember seeing near my house have your future told I remember seeing a crystal ball and numerology stuff and horoscope and all kinds of paraphernalia demonic paraphernalia you know sorcery and witchcraft and I was raised Greek Greek Orthodox and my, my mom you know she knew a witch and I, I knew her and so I was a I was aware of witchcraft I was aware of, of the of, of the spirit world you know and so I can you imagine I wanted to know my future so I decided to go and have my future told my palm read you know Here's God speaking to me. and How many times does God speak to you but you end up taking the wrong path and doing something the very opposite? Hmm? I don't have my future told. I don't know. I want to be an actor and it doesn't seem to be happening. I don't understand. I know God this. But I want to be an actor. I want to see if I'm going to make it. So I walked into her house, the place. It was a, like a, it was like a, it's a small house. It wasn't much. And so I walked in. You know, I knocked the door, no answer. The door was kind of open a little bit, so I just decided to go in. <laughs> now I'm becoming a criminal. I don't know what's a, you know, I'm a burglar or something, but I walked in and I'm calling, excuse me, I'm, I'm, I'm here for, to have my future told, excuse me, I'm nobody there. So what's going on here? So I heard a few, a bit of noise in the back. So I went in the back and there's this woman and she looks at me and, and she begins to scream, get out of here! Oh my gosh. I'm sorry, I, I'm just here, ma'am, to, to have my future told. Are you, get out of here! She says, so oh my gosh. I thought maybe she thought I'm trying to rob her. I wasn't trying to rob, I'm trying to get. So then, she, I wouldn't leave. But then she said, then she put her hand. Now this is where it gets a little crazy for me. She put her hands over her eyes like this. Get out of here! It's as if something was bothering her eyes. Well, I was taken aback. I went home. I'm not sure whether it was that day or the next day. I was reading the book of Psalms. And I found myself in Psalm 91 and also Psalm 34. 
And the Bible says he'll give his angels charge over thee to protect thee and guide thee. And I didn't realize it. But there was an angel there with me. I didn't know it. That's why she couldn't see because of the angel of the light. Listen, there was no light in me. I wasn't really even serving God. There's nothing me. That's why I said what I said in the beginning. There's nothing holy about me. But somehow in God's mercy, he sent an angel to protect me. And what she saw was nothing about me. What she saw was an angel that was guarding me and protecting me. She couldn't see it. The demons in her were crying out. The demons in her couldn't deal with it. And they screamed. That really shook me up, man. Whoa. Shook me up. I went home. You know, I read this scripture. Give his angels, and things started to come together. It's like, is it possible, God, you're trying to tell me something? Are you, are you trying to speak to me about something? But you, I was so not willing to bend, so desirous to pursue my dream. How many people are so desirous to pursue what they want that they don't care what God wants. And if you know what God wants, you still don't care because you're still so bent on doing what you want to do. Oh my goodness, brothers and sisters, believe me. There's a lot of people like that. And so, I continued talking to my agent and all that stuff. And then there were two more experiences that changed my life, and that was it. I remember I was at a place called Carl's Jr. Restaurant. It's a hamburger place. Anybody heard of Carl's Jr.? It's just a hamburger joint. It's like Burger King in the States. Very popular in Los Angeles. Nobody? Big star. The fa- <laughs> Look it up. Google Carl's Jr. You like Googling here? Do you Google? Anyway, I was in a Carl's Jr., and I'm there minding my business. I'm, I was going to order. Back then, I would eat hamburgers. I don't... But anyway, so I, 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 uh, I'm going to order some. And as I walk towards the restaurant, the, the, the cash, the uh, clerk, I, I, I noticed this man by himself to my right. And the Spirit of God spoke to me. Go talk to him. I said, Lord, please not again. You know, I, yeah. go talk. But what am I supposed to say to him? Go talk to him. Now you might say, well, how in the world does God seem to be speaking? Well, let me ask you something. Why was God speaking to Israel when Israel continued to disobey him? Yet God still gave them direction and guidance. I wasn't completely serving God, but God had a call on my life. I didn't see it or understood it. And so I went to talk to this guy. I found out, listen, don't ever fight God because you'll always lose. (laughs) <laughs> if God tells you to do something you better do it because you're not going to win it <laughs> it's not going to work so I obeyed God and I went to speak to him and I just just looked at me he looked at me I said I want to let you know that God loves you he got up I figured oh great we'll have a, maybe another Carlos experience maybe you know got up and he runs outside of I said oh no people are running from me they're scared like what's going on here he runs out I follow him and I found myself on the corner of 5th and Normandy fifth and Normandy and he stopped and he said to me look 
There's nothing about you or I just knew that you were going to come to me and talk to me about God and I don't want to serve God. But by you coming here and telling me this, I know that God loves me. And he got so convicted of his sin, he wept. Another Carlos experience, he wept and gave his life to Christ. Two weeks prior to that, by this time I have a car. I was driving down, I think it was Melrose Avenue. I'm riding down and I, I noticed Spanish Pentecostal church. I didn't know Pentecostal church. I didn't know a Baptist church. I didn't know what different churches. But I noticed Spanish Pentecostal church. It kept in my mind for some reason. I kept it in my mind. I don't know why. And there I was. Found out that Imundo was Spanish. And I said to him, Imundo, I want to take you to church. I didn't even go to church myself. I want to take you to church. And I took him to church Sunday morning. And the pastor was so happy to see me. They were having a baptismal service. <laughs> and Imundo got baptized. These two people off the street, they got baptized. I couldn't believe it. But how God is working. But I still wasn't willing to completely surrender. Can you imagine that? You might say, well, Pastor God, you know, if God did these miracles in my life, I would surrender. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Israel didn't. How many miracles did Israel see? She still didn't surrender. Oh, if I'd see a miracle, I'd believe. No, you wouldn't. How many Pharisees saw the greatest of miracles? They didn't believe. Well, this was the final experience that changed my whole life completely. I finally gave in. I was going for an interview at a place called Ping Pong Productions. <laughs> yeah, that's my life story, but that's the truth. Ping, they, this particular producer wanted, originally they had a blonde haired blue-eyed who were going to do the, the, this was a California movie for the California. They took out the script and they put my characteristics in. Everything, I didn't even really even have to have an interview. He wanted me so bad, just talk to me a little bit. I was hired to do this movie and there were going to be certain girls to play opposite me and that's what the interview was. So I got this opportunity and I went to the studio, this was in Burnback Studios and it, it, in Pinball Productions and I went there and I'm sitting down to play opposite one girl that was going to play with me in, in, this, in this movie, to play opposite with me in this movie, who would be my co-star, so to speak. And so there they were, about 10 women or so, and I'm sitting by myself, and that we're just going to come up in front of the act, in front of the, the, the camera, and just begin to act. Remember that cold reading? That was, the, that was the interview. I already had the part. So I'm ready. I'm ready to do it, and there's all these girls there, and so I'm reading my Bible as I'm waiting to be you know, I'm reading my, by this time I'm getting a little bolder. I brought my Bible with me to my interviews. Didn't do that before. I was too embarrassed. <clears throat> uh, how many Christians are too embarrassed to pray in restaurants, let alone bring their Bibles to interviews? I brought my New Testament with me, and I'm reading while I'm waiting to be interviewed. When was the last time an actor is reading his Bible while he's waiting to be interviewed? And one girl noticed me reading the Bible. So she peers over, oh, what are you reading there? Oh, I'm just reading the New Testament. Oh, you are, eh? She starts making fun of me. Reading, what are you? Well, folks, remember, this was the last story that turned everything around for me. I got up from my seat. Remember, I'm in a Hollywood studio here. This is not a church. I'm in a Hollywood. I got up from my, my, my seat, and I found myself in the middle of the studio. Right here. And these girls are there. There's about 10 of them or so. And I turned to them with my new tent and I began to pray.
preach in the studio. I can't remember what I preached, but it was, man, it was, it was, it was up to this point my greatest message. That I remember. Some horrible preaching up to this point. But aren't you glad that God doesn't care so much how you preach? But aren't you glad that God's concerned more about the conditions of people's hearts than how well you do this and how well you do that, huh? And so I'm preaching, and one girl, I notice she's crying. And, and she gets up and she begins to run out of the building. I said, oh no, I hurt her feelings. I thought I hurt her feelings. I didn't know what conviction of the Holy Spirit was. I didn't understand. These are Christian terms. I haven't gone to church yet. I thought I hurt her feelings. So I'm running after her to say, I'm sorry, I don't mean to. So she talks to me, she says, what, what are you sorry for? She says this to me. I said, no, but you're crying. She, she obviously knew something. She goes, no, no, don't you understand? I, I feel convicted. I said, you feel what? Convicted? I thought, like, are you a criminal? Or like, I don't understand what she meant. No, I'm not kidding you. I, was, I, I didn't understand. I'm convicted of what? So I realized right away that she has some experience with God. Then she begins to tell me, I, I was, I've, been, I've been a believer for many years. In fact, I go to a Pentecostal church, but I backslid to be an actress. You what? I didn't even know what backsliding was. I backslid to be an actress. In other words, I compromised my convictions. I compromised my life to be an actress. I did things I didn't want to do. And if I can tell you what goes on in Hollywood, if I, can t- I, I, I deliberately did not want to spend the segment, but if I tell you how many interviews I had with producers that wanted something out of me before they gave me a part in a film, you'd be amazed. Out of 10 interviews I had, eight of them were men who wanted to have sexual relations. At least eight out of 10. But I tell you what goes on in Hollywood, all these actors you know and actresses who've gotten parts, I can tell you not from experience, not in doing anything, but in being, a, being in that, ab, that atmosphere, how many had to sleep their way to get parts. And I'm not talking about heterosexual, I'm talking about homosexual. If I told you the names of people I know back in the day that have slept with the producer just to get a part, these were men who were not gay but had to do it just to get a part, you would be shocked. And I won't even mention names. I know these people. I don't have time to get into some of the things that I saw and experienced there because it I don't want to take away from the testimony. I'm not concerned about telling you my story. I'm more concerned about Christ being glorified. And so, this last episode, and so Linda, her name is Linda. She tells me, I felt convicted of the Holy Spirit. I need to repent of my sin, and I prayed with her. And something happened to me. I said, Dino, don't you get it? Why are you fighting God? And that day I decided to go back home to Montreal to leave Hollywood. I don't care how many parts I might. You see, I had all these opportunities, but nothing ever crystallized. See, the devil was opening the doors, but God was shutting them. So often we think that God has to open. Let me tell you, God is in just as much in shutting doors as he is in opening doors. Can you imagine if I would have gotten about... Friends, I came so close, and one of the, the parts of this testimony 
that I did not share with you that I want to I share just before I move on because I'm going to be closing soon. I didn't have a green card. And some of these producers were interested in me, but I didn't have a green card. You can't work in the States without a green card. So how am I going to... So I'm so, so naive and impetuous, I didn't realize even if I get a part in Hollywood, I wouldn't be able to work legally. So I went to see a lawyer. So how do I get this green card? Because I had all these producers wanting me to do... How many have ever heard of 20th Century Fox? How many have ever heard of The Love Boat? You know, the, you, 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 everything I've... You, you, well, I was interviewed by the producers of The Love Boat, who also produced, now, it's, you might know this, the television series called Vegas. Does anybody... <laughs> are you sure that uh, I don't know you? Or Vegas was the top-rated show in the 1980s. Robert Urich, and very close to Miami Vice, very similar in popularity. I was interviewed for, to do that, to be a part of this. Can you imagine that? This is big time. You're talking about the top-rated show in Hollywood. The world, really. And so they said to me, Dean, I can't take your shoes. I consider you, but you need a green card. I said, well, ha, 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 what am I supposed to do? Go see a lawyer. So I went to see a lawyer. It cost me about $100 for one hour. Back in that was big money. I had about 25 cents in my pocket. Couldn't even buy a pack of gum. But I went to... So, and the, they told me, okay, do you know, you, can, you want to get a green card, you got to do one out of two things. You got to either uh, invest in a business for 65, that's big time money back then, $65,000 or more, get a green card, or, that's the way it was back then, or get married. I said, um, I got 25 cents in my pocket, maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll get married. So I went out to find a wife so I can do this television series called Vegas. Can you imagine that? Okay, this, this is how... Your mind, how corrupt you! I want to get married, married. Now I wasn't Mr. Holy, but I had some respect for marriage, you know. So I said, okay, but I don't know any girls really. I mean, I, I mean, I don't, you know. So I would go to a couple of clubs in the past, and so I went to a club to find a wife. <laughs> Look, I know. Don't get mad at me. Don't throw anything at me. I'm only telling you the truth. I'm going to show you how God intervened. And so I met a girl, I told her my story, she was willing to marry me. You see, because they, 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 they wanted some of the apple pie. So if they marry you, they'll get some money and they'll be married to a Hollywood actor. They like that, you know. And so, and so I met this girl, I gave her $200 just to marry me. And that sounds a little weird, but that's the truth. And then the next day I called her, she wasn't around. She just took my money and left. <laughs> Thank you very much. Continued to do this. I met another girl. Her name was Cleo or Chloe. And uh, she was supposed, to, Cleo, or Cleo would call her, and she was supposed to move in, so everything was fine. She wanted part of the apple pie, like I said, so I didn't care about that. This was not a marriage of, out of love, to say the least. And so uh, uh, God stopped number one. Now here's number two. And so this girl is going to move into my apartment, uh, my little shack here, and we were going to go to the, uh, the judge downtown and get married. And so everything was established, and uh, she was supposed to come in, I remember exactly, Saturday at 10 o'clock in the morning. And so here it is, I get a knock on the door, it's 9 o'clock. I open the door, I, it's, not, it's not Cleo, it's not Chloe, it's this tall uh, woman, dark woman, and I'm looking at her, so I said, well, who, who are you? She, she says, you don't remember, I'm David's associate. Found out that she's from the church that David goes to. 
They've been praying for me because David knew what I was doing. And this woman was in a prayer meeting and she felt led of God to come to my house at this time to tell me not to do what I'm about to do. Are you kidding me? And you tell me there's no Holy Spirit that moves? And you tell me there's no God that intervenes? She came at the right time and told me, Dino, I don't know what you're about to do. I'm freaking out here. But do not do what you're about to do. I began to shake. She left. About 40 minutes or so after that, this girl comes to my house, getting ready. I said, get out. She said, what? Get out? I said, what are you talking about? Get out! I began to tell her why. She thought I lost my mind. God shut that door. And it happened another time. I don't have time to get into that one either. Three times I was supposed to get married and three times God shut the door. Because my brothers and if I would have married one of those girls, I would not be here today. That's it, God! Okay, I get it now. I gotta go back home. That's it. I called up Ray, my agent. I told him, I'm going home. Are you crazy? You got the, no, I'm going home. Well, what's the matter with you? You got to get, no, I'm going home. God's, call, he, thought I, he thought I was even worse than, what do you mean God's call? And I left Hollywood to go back to Montreal. And I went back, 1981, I was there. I went to Bible college for three years. I felt called to the ministry, Eastern Pentecostal Bible College. Never read a book in my life. <laughs> now I'm in Bible college. That's another sermon. I won't get, I think some of you have heard that story. And so I ended up graduating in 1984. First church that took me in in 1984 was Trinity Pentecostal Church. How many have seen Ken Bombay in this audience congregation? Every so often I talk to him. Ken Bombay was my first pastor. He took me in. I ended up becoming a staff evangelist on. Nineteen eighty-seven. I've been praying for years for a wife. Nadia came walking down the stairs one day in church. When I became a Christian, I repented. I gave my life to God. I decided to live a clean life, a celibate life. Of course, prayed for a wife for for at least seven to eight years. I had many opportunities to get married, as you know, and others, there was others after that. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Uh, and finally, there's a woman I never met before walking down the stairs. I was in church, 1986. I was preaching, teaching on a Wednesday Bible study. First time that Pastor Mombay asked me to do that. Here comes Nadia down uh, the staircase. I looked at her. I almost collapsed. <laughs> I went into a coma. I said... I said, Lord, who's this person? I don't know her. You know, I'm praying for a wife. Are you sending me somebody? I, I didn't, of course, she didn't know that, obviously. And so uh, we ended up meeting her after the service. And I don't have much time to expand on this because you've heard the story, most of you. But uh, ended up seeing her. Uh, we got married in 1987 after nine months. Listen, when you know it's God, there's no, there's no reason to 
waste any time, my friends. I got a word for some of you who've been dating for 20 years. Are you kidding me? You're kidding me, right? I got married. And uh, I was so excited about that. And I was on staff at Trinity. I was, staff, I was traveling all over Canada, all over the world, actually, preaching the gospel. And then also in 1989, the worst thing that happened to me ministerially, we all heard of the scandals of Jim Baker and Jimmy Swagger. When that happened, my ministry dropped, I would say, 70%. Uh, because they, all these people figured that if evangelist Jimmy Swagger can fall, then so can you. And they didn't trust any evangelists anymore. And I, and I just stopped, they, they stopped taking me on. The, uh, I didn't get any bookings to travel. And uh, I was making less than $10,000 a year. Couldn't support Nadia. What am I supposed to do? I got depressed, very depressed. Very depressed, discouraged. I found a job working uh, as a salesman. Uh, I was working at Burke's and Holt Renfrew trying to make some money you know my ministry was basically void I started to get all down on myself you know where's God in your life and has God really called you I went through that and it was serious um I had our first baby, Katrina, in 1992. But just prior to that, a great miracle took place in my life. When I was depressed and discouraged, what I'm supposed to do in my life, ministry stopped. I said, God, you brought me from Hollywood for what? To call me to what? To work at Burke's? To work at Holt Renfrew? Is that what you called me to do? Didn't make sense to me. I was so depressed. I put on like... I don't know, 40 pounds. I'm not sure how much weight I gained. But I remember in my lunch break, there was a church in Montreal. An Anglican church on Sherbrooke. And where I was working on Burks. And I would go there. And I would go in the afternoon and pray. I would pray my whole lunch that God would show me, help me. I didn't understand why this ministry would stop like this and how this could happen. It didn't make sense. I'd cry out to God. I would cry out to God. You see, that's how I got saved. When I was in my little apartment, I'd be crying out to God. I didn't realize what I was doing. That led me to my salvation. See, when you cry out to God, friends, He hears you. And I cried out to God, and I cried out to God. Lord, help me. So discouraged. And in 1991, I get a phone call from a pastor. He says, hey, Dino. He says, oh, hi. He says, John, John, young. hi, John, how are you? He says, yeah, yeah, you did a crusade for me for the youth. And, you know, I was thinking of you today and the other day. And I, I just wanted to know, are you, would you ever consider a pastor? I almost collapsed. I said, well, you know, I didn't want to. Yeah, sure, if you something you have something for me he says well uh, this is what I need you know are you, are you interested and I had an interview with him and uh, I got on staff and I started to minister again after these years 
and my whole life changed. I was able to survive, and uh, from there, I continued in ministry. Now, before I close, I got to say something very important. Because, friends, we're in a warfare, okay? We need to understand that. You think the devil wants you to serve God? You think, you think the devil wants you to have a relationship with God? He'll do whatever he can to dissuade you and take you away from the things of God. He'll use anybody, family, friends, your wife, your husband, boyfriend. He'll use whatever he can to get you off track. Look what he tried to do with me in Hollywood. What do you think I got all those interviews for? Because I'm good looking? No. I got those interviews because the enemy wanted me to do films in Hollywood because he knew that I had a call on my life. That's why the witch couldn't see me. And God was protecting me. The devil opened doors, God closed it. And so, I think I'm out of the woods. God opened the door, I'm in ministry, and the devil now wants to bring me back to hell, so to speak. So guess what he does? He opened doors for my first dream, which was to be an actor. But I had another dream when I was younger. I played a lot of sports, especially hockey. I loved hockey. And now I'm 30 years old. I'm in ministry. I figure that's it, okay. Thank God he brought me back. The enemy now wanted to stop me once again so what does he do he goes after your passion he won't tempt you with sports if you don't care about sports he won't tempt you with alcohol if you don't drink he won't tempt you with a woman if you don't if you're faithful with your wife and you don't care he'll tempt you with the things that you are drawn to and I love sports in fact it was a dream when I was younger I got a phone call. Three different times I was asked to play professional hockey. What? I'm 30 years old. Are you kidding me? I used to play because I was off. I was in evangelism. And the, so I had a lot of times so I was playing hockey in the rinks and I was scouted by these scouts. And they asked me, you know, one, one guy asked me to, you know, if I can go to Europe become a player coach, $65,000 a year plus rent, plus apartment, all that paid, I couldn't believe it, another, I had a camp, I had a camp to play, and I was at a camp, there's 120 players, they were going to select the top 30 to have a camp for the St. Louis Blues of the NHL, I made it, they asked me, I couldn't believe this, my wife couldn't believe it, she was so moved by this, she said, well maybe you should go, couldn't go and when he called me at 6 o'clock in the evening I said no I can't and he couldn't believe it that I turned it down this was my dream twice now this is my dream I had three tryouts three tryouts to make this camp I was the oldest in the camp there were young guys from the juniors I didn't even know the drills I didn't know how to practice I haven't played hockey for so long 
and so I, I did terribly but when the game started in each tryout there was a game at the end I would excel and score a couple of goals each and every time I did terrible during the drills but did really well in the game and I was scouted to go to this camp and I denied it the last minute and I broke and I couldn't believe I'm saying no but friends when you take one step towards God he takes a thousand towards you God honored me and opened the door for ministry once again and I haven't looked back since and here I am all these trials all these experiences what do we learn from this let me close three things we close number one you can't serve two masters Listen, you can't have one foot in Christ and one foot in the world. I know we try it. And I know there's people in this room that have one foot in Christ and one foot in the world. It doesn't work that way. There's no peace that way. I tried it. It doesn't work. I tried Hollywood in Christ. It doesn't work. And I knew that when Hollywood, when hockey came to me, I knew I couldn't do it again. You see what I'm saying? Can't serve two masters. Number two, I was searching for something. I thought I would find it in Hollywood. I thought I would find it in this world. I couldn't find it. There's no peace in this world. There's no peace with things. No person can give you peace. No object can give you peace. No fame can give you peace. No drug can give you peace. Only Christ can give you peace. Number three. God led me from A to Z. Look at the things I went through. That tells me we serve a personal God. That tells me God's concerned about your life. He sees you're going and you're coming. He sees when you're crying and when you're rejoicing. He sees when you're in pain and when you're hurting. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. No darkness is too dark for God to come and rescue you. I learned that. Crying in my room for help. God hurt me. Crying in that church when I felt he abandoned me. Ministry was dead. Couldn't support my wife. He heard me. What's your story? What's your song? God can still do it. In your life, he's doing it in his life, in her life, and I believe he wants to do it in your life as well, because we serve a mighty God. You serve a great God who's able to do all things. Amen. Let's all stand together, please.